Hello, and welcome to Working It from the Financial Times. I'm Isabel Berwick, and this week we're looking at remote working. So I'm joined remotely, obviously, by my colleague Josh Chaffin, the FT's New York correspondent, and he's written about the evolution of American office culture. So Josh, we're almost two years into this strange experiment and it feels like we're kind of at a tipping point in London. The offices are filling up, but people are still mostly at home. What's the situation in New York? We have had a very slow climb in New York. We're at about 30% in the office, according to this measure of key cards that has become incredibly closely followed by the real estate industry, city government, and all sorts of other folks. There was a big expectation that we would reach a tipping point here at Labor Day, which is early September, but the Delta variant really scuppered that, and it has been slow. And are there companies that are back five days a week? I've heard that some of the big financial groups are pretty much pre-pandemic. That's right. The big investment banks have ordered their workers back and some of the law firms as well. But I would say, by and large, most people are still working from home a good deal of the time. Right. And I think the idea that we are living with uncertainty and will do for a long time has finally started to filter down. It's all quite fragile, I feel, the return to the office. And I think the remote work part of it has to be thought through for the long term. I think so many companies just set up on Zoom and got people set up at home, but didn't think about the sort of deeper issues around managing people and workflow, you know, and so we're sort of still hanging on. But I wanted to speak to someone who really knows how to do remote work for this episode. And Sasha Labore is co-founder and chief strategy officer of a tech company called Cloudbees. And they've built remoteness into their business from the start. And he was doing it a long time before the pandemic. Here's Sasha. So one of the things we try to differentiate first and foremost is the difference between distributed companies and remote companies or remote workers. And it might seem like semantic, but it's more important than this. In a remote setup, you have some employees who happen to work remotely, but you still have an important core working in a central or multiple central locations. And in a distributed office, the normal is for everybody to be away working from home. So it's just where do you put the default behavior? And the acid test, if you will, is really, can you imagine a CEO or some key members of the exec team to work from home? If they can, well, that's a good start. It means that the foundations of the company have been properly set to enable that. Oh, that's yeah. great. So if the CEO is at home, like everyone else, that's the acid test. Yeah, that's a good test, right? If it only works uh, when the CEO is in an office, you can wonder how high you can grow in that company if you're working remotely, right? And, and so if even the CEO can work remotely, then that's a great sign. I love that point about the CEO being at home as a vital sign to make good remote or hybrid work a reality. And Josh, you wrote a great article a few months back, I remember, about the opposite thing, that many CEOs in New York were already back in their offices and some had in fact never left and they really wanted their staff to follow them back. What did you discover at that time? Well, I think the main takeaway is that workers actually don't like the office as much as the boss does. And I think that was kind of a rude awakening for a lot of chief executives who learned quite quickly that 
once you had this kind of health consideration thrown into the mix that a lot of people felt, frankly, that they'd rather be at home. So it was kind of a clarifying moment. Yeah. Also, the CEO, of course, has their own office. So they're safe and sound in their sanitized bubble. But remote work can go quite badly wrong. And during the pandemic, we had a really interesting instance of that in a really highly praised remote tech company called Basecamp had a third of its staff resign after the bosses barred them from talking about politics or activism at work. Josh, did you hear about that at the time? It was quite something, I think. I did. And it struck me that that's a case where maybe you're making rules because you don't have a strong culture. And if you have a strong culture, then maybe you don't have to come out with these clumsy, top-down bans on discussing politics at work, I guess. Yeah, and I think that the idea of corporate culture is something that maybe we hadn't thought about that much before the pandemic. And the longer it goes on, the more important it becomes. If you're a manager, you need to spend a lot of time talking to your team and a lot more time than most people think is necessary. But in companies where you've got enormous teams and one manager has got 30 or 40 direct hires, it is impossible. And actually managing remote teams is a skill in itself. And I think we could all benefit from learning a bit more about it. And here's what Sasha has to say about it. Everything you do, everything you build has to be made, taking into account the fact that key stakeholders might not be in the same room, might not be even up at the same time because they might be on different time zones, different continents. So everything has to be built around this notion that the company is based on this remoteness. So for example, decisions take place only either on calls or on shared documents. You need to over-communicate as well because people might have different type of focus. If it's the morning for them or the evening for others, uh, you might be in a different mindset. So repetition tends to be also very important. I really like this idea of over-communication for remote teams, that saying or writing more than we think is necessary. It's about personal connection, isn't it? It's about us as people knowing each other rather than the faceless organisation. It was interesting that even when a company is all remote, they still like to meet. And in fact, I talked to Sasha about how he gets his people together and how that helps communication. You know, one of the misconceptions around what happened with COVID is uh, the feeling that you either had all remote companies or all in-office companies. But the reality is that COVID was a problem even for all remote companies because all remote companies do not mean that you never meet. It actually means you meet with a purpose. Let's say a project needs to be kicked off. People would meet for two days or three days, socially bond, go to the depths of the topic, fight, agree, disagree, whatever, and then go back home and work hard on the execution. Distributed companies don't force people five days a week in an office hoping that it's going to be useful. You do meet when you have a purpose to do so. So Josh, Sasha's very big on the purpose of meeting, which is great when you can meet. But however attractive and beehive laden your office is, you've still got to commute to get there. And you wrote an article that I think went quite viral, didn't it, about your, your hatred of commuting. Has anything changed your mind, Josh, about commuting since you wrote the article in which you suggested gourmet carriages and Peloton bikes? You know, I, I keep talking to real estate people and architects about these sort of utopian offices like the Google office that's now 
under construction here, and I have to reach it via kind of like a sewer pipe that goes through New Jersey, up through the toilet of Penn Station in New York, which is a disaster. And then I make my way to the amazing office with the free coffee, the hanging plants, and the apiary, and the palatial bike shed, and the rest of it. So I'm hopeful that maybe we could turn sort of Google brain power to the commute. But of course, if you work for Google and you're very successful, then you probably live in the West Village of Manhattan or Chelsea or central London. So you're not really thinking about the commute. And I think that's the same thing for CEOs of banks or media companies or whatever else. It's not really a problem for them. That's, I think that's the conundrum at the heart of all of these remote working arguments. And I guess it's also why remote working is going to be with us for a long time, because people just are refusing to have that awful commute. But how do we really reinforce that cultural identity when we've accepted that everyone's not going to be back in your lovely office every day? So I talked to Sasha a bit about what he's done over the past few years. You know, we say that culture is not what you say, it's what you do. And when you work from home, you lose a lot of that context. And so it gets harder to understand what's the way, how do we behave, how do we operate from a culture standpoint. And so it makes it even more important to be very explicit about what your values are and to repeat things, to say what's okay, what's not okay. So there is a bit of a very explicit exercise in communication and over-communication that needs to take place, both on the professional matters, obviously, that's the core of it. But there is also this social aspect, which is super important. People bond. People want to go and stick together through hard times because they have this bonding. Otherwise, it would just it's too hard. I'm moving on. So you need to create that positive bonding among people. So you have ways to do that. But what we started doing a couple of years ago, for example, is, is what we call the water cooler. It's this implicit place in office organization where people meet and share ID and socialize and talk about anything and everything. And you lose that as part of a remote company. So what we created is a Slack channel called the Water Cooler. And every week I pick a topic. It can be interviewing a team. It can be talking about a customer case study, about a new process, about the quarterly results, whatever that is, I make a quick video, I publish it on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, I have two sessions, one for Europe and and Asia-Pacific, the other for the US on Slack, where people are expected to have watched the video, and they can talk about it, they can ask questions, or they can talk about absolutely anything. So we're being very transparent, but it participates to creating that bond across teams. And I think it's very important, right? It's, you're not just a salesperson or an engineer. You're part of a company. You have an opinion on things and you want to understand the context better. So I'm sure there are many ways you get to do that, but our way is this weekly water cooler. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you so much, Sasha. It's been wonderful to talk to you and thanks for your time. Oh, Josh, they've got a Slack channel called Water Cooler. That seems like a lot of organised fun. (laughs) I think we all did remote quizzes and drinks during lockdown, but how do you feel generally about organised workplace fun? I'm anti-fun, workplace, organised or otherwise, just totally against it. But I I think another thing that occurred to me with all of the manufactured fun is 
you sometimes think, I don't need to do this because I have a busy life and I have other demands with kids and, and so forth. And I've been at the company for a while, so I know people and I know my job. But you don't appreciate, as a CEO pointed out to me, the value that you might provide other people who have the benefit, younger employees, of overhearing your phone calls, your meetings, all that stuff, and just sort of seeing how you did things, which is something that I absolutely benefited from as a younger employee and still do to this day, at least until the pandemic. So there's almost sort of a debt that you, in some ways, owe to the organization and the younger generation, perhaps, even if you don't want to hop on the train and come into the office. Do you feel some obligation or responsibility? I don't know how you feel about that. I think that's perfectly put, Josh. I think that's exactly it. And you can learn to do it remotely. It's harder, but this over-communication point is the key. And the other thing I really liked that Sasha said was about the CEO being at home sometimes, leading by example. And I think going forward that this is going to be absolutely key that we watch what our CEOs and our managers do. So we're at a really interesting inflection point. And Josh, thank you so much for joining me from New York. Thank you. Many thanks to Sasha Labori and Josh Chaffin. If you want to read more of Josh's reporting about New York, including the article about the lonely CEOs who want their workers to come back to the office, search Joshua Chaffin on FT.com and I'll put some links in the show notes. And please do get in touch with us. We really want to hear from you. We're at workingit at FT.com or I'm at Isabel Berwick on Twitter. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times, with thanks to our producer Anna Sinfield, executive producer Joe Wheeler, with research from Pippa Smith and Lee Meyer, and mixing from Alex Port-Felix. We have editorial direction from Renee Kaplan and production support from Persis Love. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.